welcome to Embrace Your Weird. I am Lisa Jacob, and this is the place where we talk about authenticity, anxiety, and what happens when we decide to stop acting. Hey, thanks for being here. I am coming to you, as always, from the floor of my closet. My dog, Olive, is here. She's decided she needed to... um, rearrange some of the purses that are kind of piled up on the floor of my closet and uh, make a bit of a nest out of them. So she's she's really, I think, getting getting very comfortable with this whole podcasting situation we have here. So I decided to call this podcast Embrace Your Weird because Embrace Your Weird has kind of become a kind of a touchstone, like a, like a mantra for me in, in the past several years. And it's become that because of the things we're going to be talking about in this episode. I know people have all kinds of ideas about movies and actors and that Hollywood life, and, and some of those things are true, and some of those things are not so true. But what I really found when I retired from being an actor and left Los Angeles is that I I craved this normal kind of life that was similar to what a lot of other people had and that was very different than what I had growing up working as an actor. So essentially what I did was I completely ran away from my former actor life. I didn't ever talk about it. I was worried that, you know, when people found out that I used to be an actor, it was, it was going to change how they saw me. Because in some instances, it really did. It changed how people treated me. Sometimes people would get a little weirded out by it. They would think that I was different. But it didn't make me fundamentally different than anybody else. It just meant that my circumstances were maybe a little unusual. And so sometimes it's just a little weird for people. And it's not just all in my head. I've literally had people say that it's just kind of awkward and uncomfortable and strange for them, which is okay, but it then makes me feel kind of ashamed of it. Ashamed of the fact that I bought a house in LA when I was 15, and I used to walk red carpets, and get Christmas cards from Robin Williams, and I get recognized sometimes. And it makes me feel like I'm a weirdo. And so when people would ask questions about it, I would completely just shut them down. And I really tried to hide the facts that I used to be an actor. I tried to pretend it never happened. And denying 18 years of your life, it's not a good tactic. I denied this whole other part of myself, really. And what I realized in doing that, it's like that saying, right? What you resist persists. I felt like the more I tried to ignore the fact that I had had this unusual life before, the more it kind of haunted me. And so Embrace Your Weird was really 
important to me that I had to stop pretending that I had never been an actor. I realized that everybody's weird. Everybody has something that they kind of feel like they need to hide. Something about them that feels different from other people. Mine happens to be movies. Yours might be something else. But when we learn how to embrace those parts of ourselves that are kind of weird, kind of funky, kind of off the beaten path, those things are vital. Those things are what gives us our amazing and unique perspective on the world. And it means that we can do things that nobody else can do. I've seen people in my life embrace their weird, find that thing about them that they were once ashamed of, and just own it. And so often they find so much purpose and, and joy after that. Because when we can truly show up and be ourselves, that's when magic stuff happens. Once I accepted all of myself, the former actor, the writer, the yoga teacher, the speaker, all of it, and no one part is any more important than any other part, my life got a lot easier. So I went onto social media and asked for some questions that people had about my former acting life. And you guys had a lot of great questions. I, I basically just compiled a bunch of them and haven't really looked at them too much. I wanted to just sort of be very honest and, uh, and a little bit off the cuff with my answers. So I didn't want to like plan them out. So we're going to see how this goes. Let's start with this one from Reese. He asks, what made you stop acting? Good question, right? Good place to start. <laughs> so I wrote a lot about this in my first book, You Look Like That Girl, but I'm just going to give you the short version of what made me stop acting. I was just kind of over it. Okay, maybe that's a little bit too short. I will expand on that a little bit. I had been an actor for 18 years. I started working when I was four, and I had a good time doing it. But when I got to my early 20s, even though I had had these wonderful experiences and had traveled around the world and had met incredible people and, and really enjoyed the camaraderie of being on set, it got to this point where I was just, I was starting to see the downside of the film industry the constant competition, the constant criticism, the rejection, the focus on physical appearance, the paparazzi, the lack of privacy, all of those things were starting to wear on me. And it was really making my anxiety, my panic attacks, my depression really intense. And I was just unhappy. And it's funny because I think a lot of people, you know, do a job for 18 years and decide they want to do something else. You know, they want to switch careers. They want to try something new. And it's not really that big of a deal. But when you're leaving Los Angeles, when you're leaving a uh, quote unquote successful film career, people assume you're just going to stay forever, that it's just, you know, the golden ticket. And why would you ever walk away from that? And while I liked parts of my job, 
I looked around at my actor friends who loved what they did. They were passionate about it. And I wanted that for myself. I wanted something that I felt passionate about. I wanted to wake up in the morning and feel good about my life and my contribution to the world. And I was not feeling that in Los Angeles. I was not feeling that as an actor. So I made this pretty controversial decision to, to walk away. And a lot of people didn't understand it. A lot of people told me I was crazy, but that's okay. They're allowed to have that opinion. And I'm allowed to live a life where I get to define success for myself. So that's the medium-sized version <laughs> of why I, I left acting. I didn't hate it. It wasn't horrible. It just didn't feel like an authentic path to me. And I feel so lucky that what I'm currently doing, being an author, doing these workshops that I love so much, that feels amazing. And I'm so grateful for that. Okay, next question. Amanda asks, was there something you auditioned for and desperately wanted but didn't get? The one that got away. I love that question because yes. Are you ready? Scooby-Doo. I totally wanted to be Velma. She's just this like perfect nerd and yeah I really wanted that role and they did not want me so that one that one got away also x-men I auditioned for x-men a couple of times uh for the role of rogue Anna Paquin did an amazing job at that so I you know I don't have that many regrets but I I did kind of want the experience of being a superhero Next question comes from Dan. He has a question about how was school or education factored into your day? So here's how it works for kid actors. They are required to have three hours of schooling every day. At least this is what it was when I was a kid actor. I, I'm assuming it's still the same, but I really don't know. At the time I was working, we had to have three hours of schooling a day. So there would be um, a trailer, or if we were in more of a, a studio situation, maybe it would be an office where there would be a set tutor and we would work with the tutor. And if there were other kids uh, who were in the film, we would all be together. Sometimes some kid actors traveled with their own tutors, but it would just be a school setup how it worked with my school was that they would give me packets of work to do when I took uh, a job. So when I was away, I would finish the schoolwork with the tutor on set and then send it back to my school. At least that was how it happened until I got thrown out of high school on Doubtfire, um, which I've talked about a lot. If you haven't heard that story, here's the short version. My school was mad that I was away for so long filming Mrs. Doubtfire, even though I was sending schoolwork back, they sent me a letter and said, essentially like, hey, Lisa, don't come back to school. We are expelling you. And I was upset, very upset about that. Robin 
kindly came to me and asked for the address of my school and he sent my principal a letter saying like hey Lisa is trying really hard to balance her work and her school can you please help support her in that anyway end result my school got the letter framed the letter and did not invite me to come back to school so I don't have a high school diploma I'll put a link to all that at uh, embraceyourweirdpodcast.com. You can actually see the letter that Robin sent. God, he was a good person. Anyway, yeah, got thrown out of school. Just a little minor thing. Things worked out okay for me without a high school diploma anyway. You know, got my GED. I wouldn't always recommend that route. Stay in school, kids. So yeah, it ends up being pretty intense because kid actors actually work a lot harder than adult actors because on top of the long, long work day, we have three hours of school. So there's no like, oh, you can go back to your trailer and take a nap or read or rest or watch TV between shots. No, you have to go to school and do your social science homework and work on algebra. And I have a lot of respect for for those kid actors that are are managing to figure out their education and, and their work lives. Next question comes from Lloyd. If you could be on one TV show now, what would it be? Wow, that's a good question. Um... So I, I first feel like I need to say I'm not interested in being on any TV show. I'm really happy being a retired actor. But if I had to pick one, I think maybe Handmaid's Tale, which maybe tells you a little something about my dark soul. <laughs> um, because I think that show is phenomenal. It is filled with such incredible, strong female characters, and I also think those costumes would be really comfortable. <laughs> I spent I spent a lot of years in really uncomfortable costumes, you know, like corsets and, th- you know, just things that I would never wear, and not that I would really wear, like, those red robe things, but but they look really comfortable. Like, you could put that on after lunch and be okay. And also, I do kind of enjoy crying on cue. It's one of my few just natural talents. I think Handmaid's Tale would be a good, a good fit for me. Next question comes from May. How has your experience in front of the camera changed your film viewing experience? Oh, yeah. That's a great question, because it, it, it definitely has. I think where I notice this the most is in sex scenes. Because I, I, you know, I watch them and I'm like, oh, God, I remember that. It's so awkward and so not sexy and so un- just generally uncomfortable that I just can never really enjoy a, a romantic, lovely sex scene in a movie because I'm just, I'm cringing remembering the, the experiences that I had doing intimate scenes 
and it's so calculated, like, hand goes here, tilt your head here, and you never know what kind of relationship you have with the other actor. You know, I had my very first kiss ever. Not first kiss on screen, first kiss ever, ever, ever on the film matinee. So I was 13, and Simon Fenton, who uh, was my kissing partner, was 16. And he and I really could not stand each other. <laughs> we had not spoken, really, in weeks by the time we had to do our big kiss scene. And um, it was just, ugh, yeah, it was not fun. And it's why I think all actors need to be in therapy. Because when your first kiss is in front of 60 crew members and your mother, you need to talk that shit through. Question from Riley, do you ever rewatch your movies? No. <laughs> no. No, I don't. God, no. It's wildly uncomfortable. It's kind of like going back and looking at your high school yearbook come to life. No, just no. Although it's not always true, I, you know, I had to do an interview recently where I talked about uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, and uh, honestly, I can't even tell you the last time I saw it, and so I, I went back and rewatched parts of it just so I could literally remember what the movie was about. So uh, I really try not to. Here's a question from Paul. Does your past acting slash Hollywood life help or hurt you in your current life as a writer, speaker, yoga retreat leader, podcaster, and being an all-around awesome person? Oh, Paul. Gosh, thank you. I like this question because the answer is yes, both. So I do need to fully accept and acknowledge the fact that Having my previous life as an actor, being somebody who is somewhat familiar in some ways, even if it's familiar in the way of, like, if you see me out, you probably think we went to high school together. Because I'm not legit famous, I'm just vaguely familiar. But that experience, having those things on my resume, things that are part of our cultural nostalgia, right? Outfire, Independence Day, they, they are sort of part of the culture of the 90s. So having that experience is helpful in some things. It's helpful because people tend to feel a, a, a sense of like they know me, which is really nice in kind of creating connection. And there are some opportunities that I've gotten that I know have had something to do with the fact that people have gone, oh, it's that girl who used to do movies, and that means something. Who knows exactly what it means? It's hard to quantify that. But it means something, sometimes. So, yeah. There are definitely perks that I have gotten because that used to be part of my life. And there are also things where I can recognize that my past life kind of gets in the way of what I'm doing now. 
So for example, I wrote my memoir, You Look Like That Girl, and I hadn't really intended on publishing it. I just sort of wrote it for me because writing is, it's how I process the world. It's, it's how I figure out what I think about things. And I really wanted to write through this massive life change that I had undertaken, this leaving Los Angeles, moving to Virginia, getting my GED, going to college, figuring out who I wanted to be when I grew up. And, you know, because I think that really is such a universal experience, this idea of kind of waking up one morning and going like, what the hell am I doing? Who do I want to be in the world? What is, is my purpose? I think that happens to a lot of people. And I wanted to be able to to share my story and empower other people. Like if you're in a life where you feel stuck, where you feel like you are living your life according to what other people expect of you, you're allowed to change that. And I wanted to see if I could get the book published after I wrote it. So I started going out to publishers and I kept hearing the same thing again and again and again. They flat out rejected me and said that there wasn't enough drama. There wasn't enough stories about orgies and car crashes because that was what was required for a celebrity memoir. And I tried to explain, like, I'm not a celebrity. It's not a celebrity memoir. It's the story of a working actor who decided to start doing a different job. But it really was the assumption that if you're going to talk about actors, you have to talk about the People Magazine-worthy spiral and crash and burn. And that wasn't what I wanted to talk about. I didn't want to gossip. I didn't want to bash my fellow actors who were jerks. And trust me, there were enough that were jerks. I could have written a whole book about it, but that wasn't the book I wanted to write. There's enough of that out there. I wanted to write about the journey to authenticity. And because I was an actor, everybody kept telling me that wasn't going to sell. Eventually, I found a publisher that was willing to take the chance. And I'm really grateful that I had that chance to put my book out in the world. And I will say that the other way my old life sometimes gets in the way of my new life is the recognizing thing, which it doesn't happen all that much anymore, um, but it happens enough that it's still, you know, a part of my life. And I find it so awkward. It's not horrible. 99% of the time people are so kind and sweet, but I have social anxiety which for a lot of people is like, you know, that feeling of I'm out in public and people are staring at me. Except for me, sometimes when I am out in public, people actually are staring at me. <laughs> so it gets very complicated. So that's not something I love. I get awkward and I feel like I'm supposed to be something or someone that I'm just not anymore. 
And so that can be a really big challenge for me and just sort of compounds the social anxiety that I already have. So yeah, there are still all kinds of different impacts that my old life has on my current life, I guess. Never really thought about it like that. I mean, I guess that's the same for everybody, right? There are going to be some ways that your past is going to inform your present. But I guess it's also good for everybody to remember that it also doesn't have to define your future. Okay, Amanda asks, what was your favorite scene to film in any of your movies? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, you know what it was? Okay, there was two, actually. And it's funny. Okay, so I guess we have now just defined what my favorite types of scenes were to film. The first one that I thought of was actually from an episode. It was actually two episodes that I did of a TV show called Due South. So the episodes were called Chicago Holiday, part one and part two. I got to play this girl who was a little wild. It was based on Roman Holiday, um, if you ever saw that. If you haven't seen that, oh my god, go see that. It's a brilliant movie. Audrey Hepburn is a princess, and she kind of goes undercover running around Rome doing all kinds of non-princessy things. And so my character was in Chicago. She was the daughter of a diplomat and ran around Chicago doing all kinds of non-diplomat daughter things and got caught up with mobsters and did all these really very fun things to act out. So anyway, she got involved with these bad guys and they threw me over the railing of a department store. And so I got to hang from the railing of a department store over all these escalators, like a few floors up. It was so much fun. So the way they do it is they put you in a harness and they have you rigged up with a wire. So it's very safe. And yet it's still super scary when you're doing it because you're actually doing it. And I think my other favorite scene to film was in matinee when the balcony of the theater collapses. So that was another scene where I got to be there. And we really did it. You know, this is like 1993. We didn't uh, do a ton of CGI. We just blew up a theater and had uh, the balcony collapse. And I was bolted to the floor through a wire so that I wouldn't fall. It was great. So I guess to answer the question, my favorite scenes are scenes in which I did stunts. I never really put that together before. I love this question from Steven. Was there ever advice that you got from a director or other filmmaker for a scene or performance that also applies to your non-performing life? Yes, absolutely. On Mrs. Doubtfire, it was within the first couple of days of filming that I realized that Robin Williams does not stick to a script. (laughs) I don't know why I thought he would, but, you know, 
by the time I, I filmed Mrs. Doubtfire, I had been a working actor for 10 years. I thought I knew what I was doing. I would go to set, I would be prepared, I would know my lines, I would be all ready, and then Robin would come and say all kinds of crazy shit. And I'm like, I have no idea what line to say or when to say it. And so that was such a brilliant lesson that I just had to learn by being thrown into the deep end with probably the most brilliant improv actor that has ever been. Because I learned to just listen and respond rather than just waiting for my turn to talk. And that absolutely made me a better actor. And I'm pretty sure it made me a better person. Because I noticed how many times just in my regular life, somebody would be talking and I would be just kind of waiting them out so that I could say what I wanted to say. And that's really obnoxious. <laughs> it's not a great way to, to be in communication with somebody. So Robin really taught me how to be in the present moment, how to be with the person that I was talking to and listen intently and then respond later. It wasn't all about me and the things that I wanted to say. So that's something that I really, I think about a lot. Gina asks, are we allowed to ask about Beautician and the Beast? <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorites, really. Did you go to Prague for filming or were your parts filmed mostly in the States? I love that you had to ask, Gina, if you could ask about Beautician. Of course you can ask about Beautician. Beautician and the Beast actually has a very special place in my heart. That movie with Fran Drescher and Timothy Dalton, classic duo, really. Kind of a silly little movie, but I met my husband because of that movie. So, um, you know, I will always be grateful for that film. And thank you for asking about it. We did go to Prague for filming. Uh, we, we did a lot of the filming in, uh, in LA at a sound studio, but we also went to Prague and we were in a little town outside of Prague where we filmed the stuff that was the exterior of the, the castle. It was gorgeous. And I really fell in love with, with Prague and the Czech Republic. My heritage is actually Slovak. My dad's family is all from Slovakia. So it was really great to be able to visit that part of the world. So yeah, travel was always one of my favorite parts of being an actor, being able to go and spend, you know, a good length of time in these places that, that I might not have the chance to see otherwise. It really was wonderful. David asks, do you still keep in touch with any actors or actresses from Mrs. Doubtfire? I do. Mara Wilson, my sweet, sweet little sister. She and I are still very close, and I'm so grateful for that. We lost touch for quite a while. Um, after filming, we were both working a lot, and uh, 
you know, there was no texting back then. So we lost touch, but we are now back. And I just love that girl. If you are not familiar with Mara's current work, her writing, she has a book that's wonderful. Um, Mara Wilson, check her out. So Maxim asks, after starring in George Lucas in Love, which was brilliant, by the way, would you consider acting in small, independent film projects? First of all, thank you. I'm glad you liked George Lucas in Love. That was, you know, it's funny. That was just a bunch of my friends who literally called me and were like, hey, can you, we're going to do this thing in a few weekends. Do you want to do it? And I kind of went back and forth. And, and I was like, oh, okay, uh, you know, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. I don't totally get it, but okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not busy. And it ended up being such a sweet project, both to work on and, and the end result was something that I'm, I'm really proud to have been part of. So if you don't know George Lucas in Love, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. It is a eight-minute short that is a mashup of Shakespeare in Love and Star Wars. Okay, my dog just farted. Did you hear that? <sighs> Olive, this is a very small closet. Was that necessary? The most professional thing right now would just be to keep going and not talk about my dog farting in my podcast studio slash closet. All right, so the point of Maxim's question was actually not to talk about George Lucas Love, but would I consider acting in small independent film projects? I don't think so. I did the acting thing, and now I'm really enjoying being a writer and doing the things that I'm doing now. And who knows what will happen in the future, but um, there are lots of people that really want to be actors, so they should really just give the parts to them. I'm good. I'm good not being an actor at the moment. Adrian says, I am an aspiring actor. After two years of random background work, I finally have a small speaking role. And while I'm super excited about it, I'm also very nervous and anxious. Anyway, I wanted to ask how I can get this anxiety under control when I'm on set. What were some of the methods that helped you on set when you were a working actor? So here's the thing about being on set. There are going to be people around, right? The crew is going to be there, but they're not watching you. They are watching the lighting. They're watching that the wardrobe is right. They're watching that your hair is right. They're watching all of these other things. It's not actually all about you. So that is what really helped me to be like, oh, I'm just here. I am one cog in this big machine, and we are all working together to try to make something good. Keep that in mind when you're on set. There are going to be people there to, to support you and work with you, but it's not all about you. You're just one part. And here's the other thing. You get as many takes as you need. That's why I always found film and TV acting to be so much less anxiety-provoking than anything on stage, right? You mess up, you go back, you do it again. It's okay. Nobody cares. I hope it goes well. Matthew has a question about Robin Williams. 
What was the funniest thing that happened between you and Robin? Oh, so many things. <laughs> it was very hard for me to be on set with him and try to keep a straight face because he would come up with all of this stuff that is just out of nowhere. The scene where Mrs. Doubtfire meets Stu, Pierce Brosnan's character, for the first time. I was there. I was actually not in the shot, but I was watching. And there is that exchange where Pierce says, your accent is a little muddled. And Robin replies, so is your tan. I lost my shit. I just thought that was hysterical. And I had no idea where it had come from. It was not in the script. He had not done that in any previous takes. I just burst out laughing. And as far as I know, that was the one take that he did it on. And somehow they ended up being able to edit out my hysterical laughter and use the take. So God bless the sound people that figured out how to do that because I was like, that was amazing and I completely ruined the shot. But somehow, this is the magic of movies, people. They are able to edit out the fact that I ruined the shot. Here's a question from Andrew. What is the one thing people would be the most surprised to learn about the film industry and being an actor? I think I always want to just let people know it's just a job. It's really not that big of a deal. The hours are long. Call times tend to be really early. You know, you all stand around a catering truck and eat burritos early in the morning and everybody's tired and cranky and then you go and you just do your job. It feels remarkably unspecial. People are snippy with each other. People get burned out. People have onset drama. It's just like any other office, any other group of people that are working together. And I think if people really understood that it's just a regular job, it's just like everything else, then we'd have a lot less of this obsession with fame, this fetishizing that we do of of actors and the film industry, it's just not necessary. I know people get kind of obsessed with actors and, and then they sort of turn it back, feeling like they need to look a certain way or be a certain way. And it's just, I think it's really detrimental to our culture. It's not necessary and it's not true. So that's what I would want people to most know about actors in the film industry. It's just a regular job. It's not a big deal. All right, I'm going to end on this question from Lisa. If you could go back in time, would you do it all again? Yes, absolutely. I would because I had so many amazing experiences. I met so many incredible people. I met my husband because of my acting career and because even the things that were difficult about it, even the things that triggered my anxiety and made me feel rejected, even in the moments where I would audition for something and they would say, you know what, Lisa, you're, you're a good actor. You're just not pretty enough for this role. And I would come home and sit with that as an 18 year old woman, even with the 
sexual harassment that happens in the film industry, which is absolutely real and was absolutely one of the reasons that I decided to leave. Even with all of that, everything that happened, the good, the bad, it all brought me to this moment, sitting in my closet, recording a podcast with my farting dog. This moment is really good. And I am so grateful for my life and the opportunities that I've had. My life is now very different than it was. And I love that. So yeah, no doubt, I'd do it all over again. Thank you so much for sending me your questions. I never entirely know how to talk about my former life as an actor. So having questions, super helpful. So thanks for asking them. Thanks for being here. I'm going to put some links in the show notes. So you can go to embraceyourweirdpodcast.com and there will be some extra goodies there for you to check out. Huge thank you to those of you who have gone to the website and donated $10 to help cover the costs of producing the Embrace Your Weird podcast. We didn't really get to talk about the the money thing with being an actor. Um, so let me just quickly like dispel the notion that all actors have like a money room that they just go and roll around in. <laughs> it's not so. You can read more. I have stuff about residuals and actor finances on my blog if you want to read that. And so I am covering the costs of this podcast on my own and I don't have advertisers. So when you guys go and... Uh, donate $10 on the website, it really means a lot to me. That that support is very meaningful, so thank you. If you're interested in all this movie stuff, feel free to check out my memoir, which is You Look Like That Girl. Lots more stories from on set, from talking about what auditions are like, to what happens when you forget to take the sticker that reads small off the chest of the sweater that you just bought for a premiere. That was pretty fun, walking the line, being interviewed, having a small sticker stuck to my boob. Fantastic, you can hear all about that. I like to tell humiliating stories, apparently. Lots of those in my book. And as always, this lovely theme music that you are listening to comes to us from Portland, Oregon. The band is called Redbird. The song is called Beautiful. You can check out more from them at Redbird Band. I hope you have a great day. I will see you back here next time. Keep it weird, everybody. I've been cute and I've been pretty, but you didn't mean just on the eye.